Good morning. So good to pray for the nations. It's also good to have an epiphany that you've been pronouncing Bangladesh the wrong the whole time. Steve Linnemeyer, ladies and gentlemen, just, just nailing us with some humility this morning, right? Uh, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, like I said, my name is AJ. I'm one of the pastors here. I get the privilege of serving here as one of the pastors at Citadel Square. And if I haven't had the chance to meet you, haven't had that opportunity, would uh, love if you are new or if we just haven't met yet to come by, introduce yourself sometime. Uh, I would love to meet you. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're joining us online. If you're not able to make it here today. And I know uh, the humidity outside is there, so it doesn't feel like the end of summer. And it's technically not the end of summer. The end of summer is somewhere around September 20th or 22nd, I think. But for many of us, today officially marks the end of summer because school starts tomorrow. And so we are so excited about that, especially if you have children. Uh, it's a big day for us as in my house, as I do. I do the drop-off in the morning and my wife picks the girls up. But tomorrow is a game-changer day for us in my house because my second oldest daughter gets to infiltrate in on the morning routine that me and my oldest daughter have, which is I take her to school. And so we're going to have two little girls being dropped off in the morning. So it is an exciting day. I'm praying for you all as you begin this new fall season, but it's so awesome. They have their little, uh, they have like these charm necklaces and, and each of them is half of a donut and one says best and the other one says friends. And so it is cute, okay? And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to dropping them off in the morning, but I'm also, um, I'm, I have that excitement and, and nervous energy as I drop off my fourth grader and kindergartner. So I appreciate your prayers today, today and tomorrow as well. But what a better way to uh, really think about just those regular rhythms as we get back into the fall than to push pause on our Revelation series, which has been really going incredibly deep dive into Revelation. Uh, Steve has just been uh, just nailing it with these, these last few sermons have hit hard. And so we're going to pause from that today and we're going to dive into uh, Proverbs and the the book of Proverbs is interesting because it really intersects us where those regular rhythms of life happen, where application takes place, where this, where it kind of, where the, where the word meets life. And so it really does speak wisdom into our everyday arena there. And so I think when we approach all wisdom literature, we kind of come to just the, the simple breakdown. The question that we ask ourselves when we read any wisdom literature is this, how can I, how can we make better decisions? How can we make wiser decisions? And I think that's a a really good question to ask. It's, an ask. it's a question that you ask and you, you're, you're making yourself available to say, I want to grow. I want to, I want to make better God-honoring, wiser decisions. That's a practical question. I think that's a biblical question too to ask. And the Proverbs are these bite-sized, concentrated truths that use few words instead of many. That's what a proverb is. And so... 
you see the tension. I, I bet you can maybe even start to feel the tension a little bit already of how do we not take something that's this concentrated truth, this, these, these two lines that sound like some good advice, how do we not take them as these self-help nuggets and treat them that way so that they then don't help us really, that they just are detached from the Bible in a sense. So how do we not treat them as these self-help nuggets that help us to live our best life now? We've got to be careful with that when we handle the book of Proverbs. We can kind of drink them from a fire hydrant instead of maybe just dwelling and, and really uh, just sitting on one or two of these at a time. And so how do we do that? We treat these Proverbs as the inspired Word of God, which they are, and we treat them uh, as words that truly do point to Christ, as they really do. And so we know our God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. But sometimes when we hear that, that term, that automatically just the volume in our brain just starts to turn down because we can't connect with that term. Omniscient, what does that mean? Does that even really, how does that affect me day to day? School's starting tomorrow, the fall season's back. How does that affect me? How does that help me? How does that help me make a better split second decision when I've got a hundred different things coming at me and I've got to make really a hundred different decisions throughout the day? You know, the law says do not kill. I'm not really intersected with that temptation all that much. If you are, please come see me afterward. But I am intersected with these little decisions that need these bits of wisdom each and every day. And they happen hundreds of times each day. And we know God is all-knowing and we know he's the source of wisdom. He's omniscient. But I want you to think about it like this. Think about how the Proverbs really do point to Christ. You see, think about God incarnate, Jesus Christ, and his brilliance. He is the sinless son of God. He's the suffering servant. He's our resurrected Lord. But he's also the smartest person who has ever lived. You maybe don't hear Jesus described in that way often. You maybe hear him described as he's omniscient, and then you kind of turn the volume down, disconnect but he's the smartest person who's ever lived. The, these Proverbs, here's what they do. They really do remind you of the omniscience of God, the brilliance of God. But the Proverbs, what they do is they remind you that God understands you. And that's a little bit of a, of a different way, just a slightly different way to see that. See, wisdom literature does that to you. As one commentator says, says it like this, he says, Proverbs is almost like walking into the counseling office of our Lord. And he not only knows you and loves you, but he gets you. He understands you. This morning's sermon is titled, Where Wisdom Begins. And I had three unalliterated points that I think would have served us really just fine. It was like intro purpose, foundation. But then I just, you know, I kept just, it kept rolling around. It didn't stick. So if you're taking notes with this, the three points are going to be title, target, and theme. And, you know, just alliterated sermons make so much more sense. We get, we as pastors, we get bigger quarterly bonuses the more times we use alliteration. So just wanted to throw that out there 
and I uh, hope you'll remember those. So title, target, and theme will be the three points for today. And we're going to read Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, and then we'll dive in. So it says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to know, oh, excuse me, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Father, these are lofty yet simple words. God, they, they speak to us at our core, they speak to us in the everyday. And so I pray that this would be a text that really truly does not just live on a coffee mug or in a tweet, God, but these would be verses of scripture that pierce our hearts, that really do change our minds, transform our thinking, and then alter the way in which we live because we live in light of a fear of you, God, a reverent fear of you. And so I pray that this scripture would mold us and shape us today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. So in good citadel square fashion, we're going to start right there in Proverbs 1.1. And it says, the Proverbs. And in good citadel square fashion, we're going to pause right there as well, okay? And so the Proverbs, we got to ask, what is a proverb? We've been kind of talking around it a little bit already, but it's, it really is a concentrated truth. It's a truth expressed in brief and striking words. And the Proverbs are there to do that. They're there to do that succinctly. They're there to do that to help you memorize them, to help you carry them with you kind of in your tool belt. That's what they're there for. They help you in that way. They really help you explore a real life scenario, a real life situation with a patterned reality. That's what a proverb does. We can know in advance what is going to fly and what's going to crash in life based on these patterns, these truths. They aren't always these concrete promises. You'll see those elsewhere in the scriptures. And God's very clear when he makes a promise. These proverbs read a little bit differently. You see, the, the, these, they aren't necessarily form, formulaic, but they are patterned, like I said. So, they, that's not to say there aren't exceptions. We'll see about those in just a second. But the other wisdom literature of the Bible does tell us something. See, Proverbs, what they do is they tell us about these practical patterns of life. Well, what are the other types of wisdom literature in the Bible? Well, there's Psalms. Psalms really hit on the heart level the devotional 
life of the Christian, of the believer. They really talk about our heart level, our devotional life. Job speaks to those exceptions. Job is a, is a book of wisdom literature that speaks to the catastrophic, the exceptions of life. And you see, you and I will face something catastrophic in this life. And the best way to prepare, that, prepare for that is to read the book of Job, to really wrestle with the book of Job, to digest that book. Because on the other side of whatever that catastrophe is, you have to be able to stand and ask yourself, if this doesn't work out the way in which I had hoped, am I gonna still be okay? And I don't mean necessarily okay in a, in a surface level way. I mean, are you going to be okay with the Lord? That's what, that's what Job teaches us. We use that phrase kind of in my house a lot when, when we're wrestling through some conflict with our daughters. This is when they forget about their best friend donut necklace and they're like, you know, going at each other's throats. But we'll tell them, okay, this scenario, this situation didn't shake out the way in which you had hoped, the way in which you had intended. On the other side of this thing now, are you going to be okay with God and with your sister? And that's just, that's just really practical wisdom that we get from, from scriptures like Job. Ecclesiastes is another portion of wisdom literature, and it really wrestles with the mundane, the disappointing nature of life. Is this really all it intended? Is this really all it cracked up to be? I thought I was going to be, you know, my, my, I rode by that billboard that said, go out and change the world, right? And then you start to compile some of these things in the wisdom literature, and you start to see that your life is made up of these hundred decisions that happen every day, and these hundreds of thousands of decisions that clip by over the course of a lifetime. And there's some really, really powerful, incredible things that can happen in those decisions. And so that's what Proverbs really prepares us for. You see, a way to value the Old Testament for application is to think about it like this. You've got this wisdom literature and it says, you know what, man, when I read this, I realize how much of a fool I am. I need the Lord, right? Sometimes we can, we can struggle to connect to the Old Testament. We can struggle to see Christ in the Old Testament. We can struggle to see how we may be able to take these truths and apply them. And then you can look at the law and you can say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior because I do not measure up to that. I can read the law in the Old Testament. And I can see all, I can catalog all the things in my mind and in the things in my heart and know that I didn't measure up to that. And I can look at the historical books in the Old Testament and say, man, okay. These people, God's chosen people are just as crazy as I am. Maybe a little crazier, right? And you can read the prophets and say they listened back then about as good as we do now. So you get, get used to the Old Testament. You get, get to figure out how it fits. A big chunk of your Bible is Old Testament. And a good little portion is wisdom literature. And here we are in the Proverbs chapter 1. Now, if you, if you realized what we just read, it didn't read like seven individual statements, did it? It read a little bit more like a poem. That's because it's really a psalm in the book of Proverbs. These first nine chapters are really the psalms of Proverbs. 
There'll be a couple poems at the end, but this big chunk, chapters 10 through 29 of the book of Proverbs, are really the Proverbs. Solomon even reintroduces them in such a way. In, verse, in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, the Proverbs of Solomon. Ding, ding, ding. I think we have a clue. Okay, he's starting a new section. He's like, all right, we got through these introductory Psalms and now we're actually to the Proverbs and they read how you think a proverb will read. But what we have here is really this opening poem, this introduction. And so Solomon, so that's what a proverb, the Proverbs of Solomon. So we get introduced to the first character, the author here, Solomon. He's the wisest man of his day. We don't have time to go into all of his backstory, but he's wise. And toward the end of his life, he doesn't really choose the best company. He doesn't make the wisest choices about his company. His, some of the wives, yeah, you, wives, some of the company he keeps, right? That's probably not good that it, there wasn't this faithfulness to one spouse, right? Some of, the, some of the company he keeps are worshiping other gods, and he's easily influenced by this. And so he doesn't always live wisely. But Solomon, it says in 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 30 through 31, it says, Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men. And then we get introduced to another character, son of David. So Solomon's the son of David, the king of Israel. And David is this anointed, repentant king who didn't always act wisely either. But these guys are the title characters. They're here in verse 1. David had wisdom because of his heart. He had a heart for God. And much in the same way, Solomon, Solomon was wise because of his, was Solomon wise because of his position and his, pref, and his performance? No, no, no. He was not wise because of his position as, as king, not wise because of his performance. He was wise because he prayed. First Kings 3, 9 says, Solomon's praying to the Lord, says, give your servant, Solomon, therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And so that's the title. That's the introduction to the book here. The introduction to really all of the Proverbs. And we get to know what they are and the author. And then in verses 2 through 6, we're going to see the target. We're going to see the aim, the goal, the purpose of the Proverbs in general. And really begging back to that question of how do we obtain wisdom? How do we make better choices on the daily that honor God? That's what we're here for. That's what we want to do with our lives. We don't want our lives to, to look back on our lives and be like, oh man, look at all these crazy decisions that I made. And I could have chose wiser, but I didn't. I was rebellious. We really, one of the goals, we really, we really want our children to have some boring testimonies in a sense. Don't you? Isn't that a good goal for a kid's ministry? Have some boring testimonies? Not in the way that the Lord didn't really bring them to the end of themselves, but in the way that they don't have this long runway of unwise decisions. And so what is the target? The target is be wise, 
and practically make better decisions. You see, the purpose of the Proverbs and wisdom literature are to produce us, in us, character, thinking, and actions. They're to cause us to dwell on those character, thinking, and actions and really apply practical theology. You see, wisdom is introduced to us here in verse 2. It says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. And so wisdom is really here, it is, it is a word that goes beyond just head knowledge, right? That would be, I think, selling it a little short. What is it? It's, it's something different. It's almost intangible at times when you get introduced to a person who's wise or you start to know someone and you start to think of them as wise, right? It doesn't, it's not because of their calculus knowledge, right? It's because they can take some knowledge about the everyday of life and they can then apply that to how things work out in life. Well, I was... This situation was, was thrust upon me. So now I've got to navigate this scenario. That person, the way in which they handle that, maybe you start to, to pick up on some humility in that person. Maybe you start to pick up on some, some patience in that person. Maybe you start to pick up on some gentleness in that person. It's starting to sound a little bit like the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Yeah, wisdom and the fruit of the Spirit kind of interlock. Think Old Testament, New Testament, right? a person starts to reflect that the Spirit of God is working in them. That's how we'll see that wisdom. But wisdom goes beyond just thinking. See, it's a skill or an expertise in how life really works. There it's almost like when the, when the Job scenarios of life happen, this person has some anchors. This person is not going to be tossed to and fro. They have the anchors of the Word of God, the relationship with God. And they have the Holy Spirit. They're not, they're not just tossed about when things happen. This word... Wisdom is a big one. You see, wisdom, it's, it's one of those words that I think we just have to, to dwell on. To dwell that we're not always going to know every part of it. And we're not going to be able to, to search every area of it. But we're called to know it. We're called to know wisdom instruction, and instruction and to understand words of insight. Then verse 3 continues to say, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. So the purpose, they're saying the purpose, in some translations, these two verses 2 and 3 read, the purpose of Proverbs is to know wisdom and instruction, or the purpose of the Proverbs is to receive. So do you see the I think when we hear, oh, I want, to, I want to gain wisdom, I want to become wise, that's even a weird thing to talk about because humility starts to erode when you're like, you know what, I did this, 
you know what I did this summer? I became really wise. Isn't that awesome? Don't you want to hang out with me more now? And you're like, clue number one, you didn't become wise. You talk about wisdom too much. Now you know how I feel about preaching on it, right? So when you think about wisdom, it's one of those things that you just, you have to, you have to navigate that thing in a weird way because it's not something you, you boast about, right? It's not something you brag about. It's something that you're commanded to know. It's something that you're commanded to receive. So the purpose of these Proverbs, you're really learning, you're really hearing, you're really being given these things and to grow in them. So to receive instruction in wise dealing. So this is one of those things that we've, there's so many Proverbs that deal with really parenting and family and uh, many of the first first nine poems there in Proverbs kind of walk you through what it's like to deal in those relationships. And so to to receive instruction in wise dealing, sometimes you're not always picking between a right and wrong. Isn't that easy to do a lot of times? That's kind of easy to do. This is right, this is wrong. What's a wise dealing? Well, wise dealing may be there's two good options and... I'm starting to realize that my opinion isn't the truth, right? My opinion isn't the, I don't know everything. And so I've got to now navigate a situation where there's a wise dealing where I've got to think about this and there's going to be maybe two options that are really good or it's not as clear. We, I think we deal with these all the time. We deal with these types of scenarios all the time. What college should I choose? Is one college evil? I don't think so. Depends on if your college has like a rival, then you're like, yes, one college is evil. But I don't think there's like a, a, a right wrong there. So how do, we, how do we get instruction on that? Or which house do I buy? How do I gain wisdom in that? How do I gain wisdom in relationships? Do I want to continue pursuing this person? This is, this is a tough thing. So it's a huge thing to navigate in these formative years of your life. You're really, really being pressed. Life is really squeezing you in some areas of who are you going, who's your Lord going to be? Who are you going to spend the rest of your life with? And what are you going to spend your time doing, your productive hours doing? You're making all these decisions in these formative years. And are there good and evil decisions? Sometimes, sometimes there are. But are there these, these do you need instruction on how to deal with these scenarios where it's, it's more of like I'm charting a course I've got to figure out how to deal with these things wisely. And then on the tail end of, of verse three there, it says, in righteousness, justice and equity. This is when something repeats in the Bible, it's not just trying to, it's not trying to be redundant. It's trying to draw your attention to something. 
And so when wisdom, instruction, all these words are repeated throughout knowledge, that's really the theme of the book of Proverbs. That's really what we need to be pursuing in the wisdom literature. And then it gives us three words that kind of mean the same thing right here in this verse. Righteousness, equity, and justice. Right? That's what we are to be pursuing and receiving instruction on wise dealing in these things. Pursue these things. Pursue what's fair. Pursue where the scales are not tipped. I wrote a paper for one of my classes on Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, it says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. That's a pretty incredible verse. That kind of fairness, that kind of equity, that kind of righteousness is what God's calling us to pursue. Not one where behind the scenes, you're kind of working it to your advantage. You're tipping the scales so that everything shakes out for AJ, right? That, that God doesn't say, man, that's, that's dishonest. You shouldn't do that. That's not, that's not a wise way to live. You know what he says? He says that's an abomination. He uses those kind of words for idolatry. He uses those kind of words for sin that doesn't even belong in his presence. And that's what he says here, that we're, we're to pursue that kind of dealing. That's how we are to go about pursuing wisdom. Then in verse four, it says, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So he's repeating some of these same themes of wisdom, knowledge, instruction. But he uses this word, to give prudence to the simple. And that's an interesting word. It, it, it can, it's one of those words that can kind of have a positive and a negative, almost like enablement, right? Enablement can be a positive word. You, you jump on board, you get things going, you, you kind of are a good team player. But it can also be bad if someone has an addiction and you keep on enabling them, right? Well, prudence can be kind of the same way. It can kind of mean like kind of slick and clever, but it can also mean really shrewd and cautious. And so Jesus uses this kind of uh, term in Matthew 10, 16. He says this, he sends out the apostles and then he tells them, he tells them this, he says, Behold, so they're, they're going out to, to share and to tell of the kingdom of God in really a, a land and, a, and amongst the people who don't want to hear it. And he tells them this. He says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise. That's that kind of prudence word here. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He does not say, I'm sending you out, go proclaim the kingdom of God and you're gonna be going out amongst the wolves. So guess what? Muster up enough strength, do it on your own and be like a wolf, right? Fight wolf with wolf. He doesn't say that. He says, be prudent, be wise, be cautious, be shrewd. But he doesn't leave it there so you just kind of tempt tiptoe over into a Genesis 3 type serpent, right? That's what we can think of when we think of that word. He balances that and slices it right here with an innocent 
as doves. And so that's how prudence works with righteousness, equity, and justice. Do you see that? It works when you read that in Proverbs, I want you to think about Matthew 10, 16, because it works in that way of wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Verse five, we're trucking right along. Verse five, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. So that is tilted toward instruction again. What do you need to do? How do you need to posture yourself toward obtaining wisdom, obtaining guidance, right? How do you need to do this? So let the wise, that's, that goes back to almost let the wise boast. No, what does it say? Let the wise do what? Let the wise hear, right? Let the wise hear. So you don't go around boasting of, I got, I got more wiser, right? You don't go around boasting in that. A wise person continues to posture themselves as a lifelong learner. They continue to posture themselves as a learner. You ever been in an office with somebody at a meeting, uh, spent some time with them over coffee, and man, it was like the most life-giving hour you've ever been with somebody. And it was because they took their phone, they set it aside. They said, these 60 minutes, I'm devoted to you. I'm focused on you. And they just asked questions. You ever been in a room with somebody like that? They, you walk away and you're like, oh my goodness, that person is the wisest person ever. They didn't tell, they didn't give you, they didn't give you any statements like, you know, do, go out and do this, this instruction. They maybe asked some questions that really penetrated the heart and they listened to you, didn't they? That's what a wise person does. A wise person listens. You, you probably felt like you were the only person in the world hearing from them. And then verse six says, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So this, this passage is really, this verse six is really saying, understand it, so explore the meaning in these types of teachings. Do you understand it? Continue digging. All right, so we walked through that verses two through six. Just wanted you to get, get a lay of the land there. We're about to get to verse seven, but we gotta think about what did, what, what is the purpose? What is the theme? So it's, it's a little bit repetitive here in verses two through six, but what does this mean? How does this connect to every day? AJ, you said the, the Proverbs are really practical. They're, they're, they're for my everyday life. So where do we need, where do we need wisdom? We need wisdom in every nook and cranny of life. It's so easy, so easy to trust in your own might and your own strength and your own power, isn't it? It's so easy. Around the office, we kind of have just a, a good way of saying, obviously we want to go to the Lord with things, but isn't it such an easy thing to do just to ask for help? Isn't it such an easy thing to do? And sometimes we get stuck on a project. We get stuck on something. And we're like, man, it's, it's a reminder I have to say to myself, just ask someone for help. They're, they're willing to help you. And think about this, the Lord, when you need wisdom, he is there and willing to help in your time of need. And so all the subject matters in Proverbs that are covered, it's pretty incredible. You know what the main one is? Does anyone have a guess? 
What's the one thing that's, that's thematic throughout? Wisdom is a good guess. It, it's in there. Like, dude, that was my answer. Anybody got a guess? Be so bold as to just shout out a word. I love you guys too. I do. I, I, I got my my feet wet in ministry preaching to like 256 through 12th graders. So they were like, when I say way more interactive than you guys, I mean way more interactive than you guys. But I love you. Anybody have a guess on it? Say again. Understanding. Humility. Humility. How about words? How about our tongue? That's one of those things that's repeated constantly in Proverbs. It's one of, the, one of the things that's repeated the most. Our tongue, our speech, our conversation. And when you think about it, don't you need that daily? Don't you lay your head on the pillow some, some night, most nights, all nights? See, I went from some to most to all. And you think, why did I say that? I, today, I was such an idiot. I need to like talk to that person tomorrow because that was just so foolish. I can't believe I said that. And sometimes you'll even catch yourself in the moment and you're like, can I just rewind? I'm sorry I said that. That's an incredible thing to be able to do is you start to become more and more self-aware. You start to realize what it's like to sit across the table from you. That can be a scary thing sometimes. But that's our words. Proverbs 15, 4 says this. If you want a good section in the New Testament on the words, some people even say James is the New Testament wisdom literature. Incredible portion of James is about our tongue. But Proverbs 15, 4 says this. A gentle tongue is a tree of life but perversiveness in it breaks the spirit. So a lot of Proverbs read like that, a positive and a negative. And there's tons of them about the tongue. Other areas that, that really these verses two through six apply to and all the Proverbs apply to, our family, our relationships, our parenting. I've been mentioning it multiple times. Raise up a child, right? Proverbs 22 verse six, it says what? It says, Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So these, they, they, these themes of family and our relationships and our parenting, other, other key themes, and you'll really see, they make up all of life. And it's right here in Proverbs. So we got words, our tongue, we got family, we got friendship, we have work, productive activity, what you do eight plus hours a day. If you start doing the math, I'm no mathematician, but I think that's about a third of your life. You spend sleeping and, and the other third you spend working and then the other third you spend, I guess, leisurely doing what you want to do. Right? Life seems pretty simplistic when you think about it like that, doesn't it? Then you got your money, you got emotions, you have life and death. These are all talked about in the book of Proverbs. And how do we navigate them? How do, we, how do we need wisdom when we're turning left out of our neighborhood unprotected, 
right? When a friend talked about us behind our back and we don't know if they're really a friend anymore. We don't know if they're trustworthy, right? How do we know how to handle a situation with money? And we got, we got involved with family and money and now it's weird and there's like a old saying of don't involve family and money and it's weird now and I should have listened to that made up proverb that that person told me about. Or me and my spouse, we, we, I think we have two different ways of disciplining our children. I need wisdom there. Or I just can't control my emotional life. I need the Proverbs to maybe point me to a Psalm. Or every night when I lay down, I have this crazy anxiety that I'm gonna die, that I'm not gonna wake up. I need wisdom there, Lord. I need you to help me. You see, Proverbs really do speak to the every day of life. And so, where does this wisdom, that's the answer to these things really begin? Well, I'm glad you've stuck with me for the first six verses because here's the answer. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, beginning here is not really the beginning of a race in which you leave behind. It's, the start, is it, it's not this starting line that I never think back upon. This type of beginning is much more like I joked about in my uh, non-alliterated uh, outline. It's much more like a foundation. It's much more, this is laying the groundwork. This is the source. This is everything we must go back to. And you see, when we read fear of the Lord, that's just not a Western American Christian term that we use. How you doing in the fear of the Lord, brother? Growing you? We just don't do that. It's not part of our lingo. But here's what it's not. It's not this terror of God is so distant and he just wants to squash me. You see, I had kind of an unregenerate terror relationship with God growing up from the age of birth to 19. I was so scared of God. I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know God. I had this just fear of him, of that he and I had a, a terrible understanding of his ways. It was just he, he punished the bad people, which would be all of us. And then he let the good people into heaven, which would be Jesus. And that's it. That's the list. And so, but I didn't know that. But I had this fear, this terror that really distanced me from the Lord. And this type of fear of the Lord, you know what it is? It's super relational. This type of fear of the Lord, this is truly where our quest for wisdom begins. It begins with God himself. I had to reach the end of myself to realize that terror was not biblical. That terror was not this type of fear of the Lord. You see, Proverbs 4 7 and Proverbs 9 10 give us a little bit more instruction on what the fear of the Lord is. 
4.7 says, the beginning of wisdom is this. I love this. I love this. It says, get wisdom. That sounds like a locker room speech. That does not sound like Solomon. And whatever you get, get insight. I love that. That just, man, if you need something tomorrow morning to get you just amped, this is your coffee tomorrow morning. The beginning of wisdom is this, get it. Go get it right? Get wisdom. But then it so calms you and like de-ages you, right? <laughs> That's not a word. But it takes, it takes the flesh out when you think about that. Go get wisdom. How do you go get it? You go get the Lord. You go get in relationship with him. You go draw near to him. You go have a reverent right fear of him. And then verses nine, uh, chapter 9, Verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You see, we all have a perspective on God. We're all theologians, but Proverbs really help us see ourselves rightly in terms of wisdom and foolishness. One theologian says this, the fear of God is astonished reverence. I believe that the reverential fear of God mixed with love and fascination and astonishment and admiration and devotion is the most enjoyable state and the most satisfying emotion the human soul can know. How you doing in your fear of the Lord? I, I'm, that's, I don't think that's going to really pick up as like a thing we say around here, guys. Easy, Okay. But how are we doing in our fear of the Lord? You see, the reason that this whole thing turns on its head is because really true moral life begins with God. And he is the source of this. So with this fear of the Lord, you begin to see the world and yourself correctly. You think rightly about yourself in light of where you obtain your sense of value and worth. This equals knowledge. And then wisdom is then how to live with it. How how to take that knowledge and operate that skill of wisdom. Because I didn't see myself, whenever I was talking about that terror, that type of fear, I didn't see myself rightly in the Lord's eyes. I saw myself as having value and worth from what I could do, what I could obtain, what kind of lifestyle I could live. That's how I saw my value and worth, not from this type of fear of the Lord where I see my value and worth in whom I have been created by, whom I am. I am his. So wisdom is this type of right thinking applied. It's wielding this right thinking. We did an exercise uh, we watched a video as a staff team this past week, and it's called The Ideal Team Player, Patrick Lencioni. He's kind of a business consultant. He actually mentioned Christianity, so I believe he's a believer. Um, but he, he mentions he's got these three aspects of what an ideal team player is. They're humble, hungry, and smart. 
So they're humble, That's, that one's pretty obvious. They're hungry, they have a strong work ethic. They're smart, not necessarily IQ, but he would say EQ. Do they know how to, how to you know, interact with people well? Can they read the room? And so if you're deficient in the smart one, he labels you an accidental mess maker, okay? Accidental mess maker. And, and the ideal team player has all three of these. So you gotta have all three of these, but you're gonna be deficient in one. So if you're deficient in the smarts, you're an accidental mess maker. You, you have to have someone clean up after you in a sense. He didn't really, you'll say, he didn't really mean it that way. And so they kind of lack that EQ. Then number two is the lovable slacker. They're hungry deficient, right? They don't have that drive to go the extra mile to, to, to finish the project. And then number three is the skillful politician. They're humble deficient. And so deep down, it's not about them. Deep down, there's a, a motive that's, that's behind them that they have to check. And so that one woke me up. That's, man, this sounds a lot like being fear of the Lord deficient. Sounds a lot like what I struggle with and what I have to fight daily. So how do we make wiser decisions in that? How do we make wiser decisions even when we have to fight against our own flesh, fight against our own lack of humility. Even these three are, are alliterated, so you'll love this, okay? So application. We need to ask ourselves, what defines my identity? What defines my identity? You see, Paul, when he's introducing his letters, what does he say? He introduces himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. That's how he repeatedly introduces himself. Every letter he's writing, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He continues to, to realize where his identity comes from. Number two application, who dictates what I do? Who dictates my steps? Who marks my ways? Who do I go to when I need to make a decision? Do I rely upon the Lord? Do I go to the Lord? It's so easy for us to get into just a habit of really just having those conversations with ourselves in the morning and not going to God's word and not relying upon him. It's so easy to not be immersed in the scriptures. And number three, how do I make better decisions? So fear of the Lord equals truly knowing God having a right relationship with him, knowing his word and prayer, praying without ceasing. That's, do you know what that verse really means? Is having that ongoing dialogue with the Lord. It's not saying be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. It's not saying that I, I, I can't talk to you, I'm praying. It's not that. It's I'm always having conversations with the Lord about wisdom. God, I need wisdom. I'm about to have a conversation with someone. Give me wisdom. Lord, this person needs prayer for this. Lord, I'm about to interact with these people. Give me wisdom. That is prayer without ceasing. Be that kind of person. So, is, it is not wise for any one of us to live as the one from whom all others are measured. You see, if we aren't careful, we end up seeking 
we, we end up not seeking wisdom, living with a reverent fear of the Lord. It's easy to default into living as if you are the measuring stick upon which all others and all things are measured by. You start to see that your opinions are truth. Your opinions are the final say. But the truth is that we will all be measured one day. The fear of the Lord is when we realize I am not the measure of all things, but I am am being measured. And you have to ask the question, does your best square up with the righteousness required before a holy God? I know I can't get there on my own. That's what wisdom literature will reveal to you. It will reveal how much of a fool you are, how much of a fool I am. And that may sound like bad news for us, but that's just the beginning of the best news. When we try to measure up, and even our best works are filthy rags, we might start thinking, I need some help here. And I hope you do, because that's the Spirit of the Lord prompting you. When we see the Proverbs, when we see biblical wisdom, literature, they help us realize that through the power of the Holy Spirit and His Word, that you're not the one by which all things and all people are measured. God says you don't just need help or assistance. No, that would still mean that you can contribute. You need a substitute. I need a substitute, and that substitute is Jesus Christ. God can look upon us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. How? Based on our performance, based on our wisdom, based on our good works? No, he can look upon us because of the, who, who, the one in whom which all wisdom flows, Jesus. It's because Christ alone. Listen to these words in conclusion. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says this about Christ. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The beginning of knowledge and wisdom is seeing that we have a really, really big God. And we are really, really big sinners. But we can begin embracing a wiser way to live when every ounce of our life is saturated with the grace, wisdom, and fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it not only instructs us on how to make some better decisions, on how to practically live, on how to navigate difficult times, on how to live when catastrophe happens, God, but it instructs us on how to honor you. And so I pray that every ounce of our lives would do so. Every ounce of our lives would honor you. God, and when we know we, met, we fall short, we can run to you because we have a, a fear of you that is healthy, a reverence that we want to obey you, that we want to live for you, God. We want to make wise decisions on the daily. And God, we want our lives to be one that point others to Christ as, as the wisdom literature points us to him as well. So we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.